until cryonics do us part. It's the title of a New York Times Magazine piece written by Carrie Howley, a student in the University of Iowa's nonfiction writing program. In this edition of Iowa Insights, Howley explains how one person's desire to be frozen after death can complicate a relationship. What will happen to your body when you die? It's not the most pleasant conversation for couples to have, but it is an important one. Most will choose burial or cremation, but a small group will opt for cryonic preservation, that is, freezing the head or body with the hope of bringing it back to life in the future. If one partner isn't cool with cryonics, the option can be cause for a breakup or at least a major source of conflict for the couple. Carrie Howley, a graduate student in the nonfiction writing program at the University of Iowa, interviewed men and women about how cryonics affects relationships. Her essay was published in the New York Times Magazine in July. Howley is engaged to be married, and it got her thinking about what we expect of our partners in death. How would she feel if her future husband wanted to be frozen? If he was spending time and money planning for a future life that didn't involve her? These questions of what if my husband wakes up in 200 years can seem ridiculous and, and hypothetical, but it is interesting that we expect our partners to grow old with us, and then we expect the end to come to us together at roughly the same time period, um, and that that's something we feel we're promised in marriage. Cryonics can be costly. You could spend $100,000 depending upon where and how you want to be frozen, but most people spread out the cost by paying into an insurance policy. Neuropreservation, freezing just the brain, is cheaper. The idea is that information is stored in the brain like software, and if new hardware can be created in the future, your thoughts could be uploaded. Most people preserve the whole body, but the number of bodies in preservation is small, fewer than 200 total in this country's two major cryonics facilities. About 2,000 are signed up to be stored when they die. Cryonicists tend to be non-religious white men, often engineers or economists. They are scattered across the country, but connected through support networks. When approached by Howley, they were surprisingly open about how their plans for death had ruined relationships. You don't expect people to be willing to talk about their marriages. But there were actually quite a few deeply frustrated men who were very passionate about cryonics and had seen relationship after relationship crumble because of this, who were very willing to talk to me. Some partners broke it off because they found the idea too far-fetched. Others were just plain disgusted by it. But the arguments for cryonics can be compelling. In the course of the story, I kept getting this argument from cryonicists, which was essentially, do you have a better idea? And if you're not with regard to death. Do you have a better idea? What's your plan? And if you're not a religious person, that's actually kind of an intriguing argument. I mean, there's no response to it. No, I don't have a better plan, you know. The men also question why it really matters. If you don't believe in cryonics, isn't it just another way of disposing of the body? And shouldn't someone who loves you support that choice? It's a debate all too familiar to Robin Hanson and Peggy Jackson, the focal point of Howley's story. He's an economics professor who's terribly curious about the future. She's a social worker at a hospice and is adamant about accepting death. He plans to be frozen. She doesn't. Peggy's views can be summed up in this passage of the story. Peggy describes herself as not religious and definitely not a Christian, though she lacks Robin's surety that nothing lives on when the body dies. 
Her line of work has left her focused on managing the last days of life, partly by encouraging her charges to stop fixating on medicine. Families come from hospital to hospice obsessed with numbers, blood count, blood pressure, heart rate. Look at his face, she counsels. Does he look comfortable? It's very commonsensical, but it takes a lot of work to get people to let go of the hospital stuff. In the interest of a smooth transition, families are asked to sign a form that says, do not resuscitate. Very rarely one doesn't, though to fail to do so is to violate certain philosophical leanings of a place very much oriented toward acceptance. The paramedics come in and they pound on the chest, Peggy says. It breaks bones, it causes pain, it's serious trauma. That always feels like a failure. I didn't get through to this poor family. And then there's Robin, who feels pretty much the opposite. He insists on choosing life at any cost. Robin's expertise extends to the economics of healthcare, a domain in which enormous amounts of money are spent on experimental procedures with only a small chance of extending life. Like many cryonicists, he says he thinks of bodily preservation as experimental end-of-life medical care, and it is within a medical context that he typically introduces the subject of cryonics to his health economics class at George Mason. His students rarely accept this framing. We spend most of the semester talking about how people are obsessed with taking any small chance at living longer, Robin says. And then when we get to cryonics, it's, well, who needs to live longer? What's the point of living anyway? Why can't we solve global hunger? In other words, while his wife says that medical technology has an unfortunate stranglehold on the way we die, Robin longs to claim the mantle of medical science for his attempt to avoid death altogether. But here he doesn't expect to succeed, and as with most societal attitudes that contradict his intuitions, he's got a theory as to why. Cryonics, Robin says, has the problem of looking like you're buying a one-way ticket to a foreign land. To spend a family fortune in the quest to defeat cancer is not taken, in the American context, to be an act of selfishness, but to plan to be rocketed into the future, a future your family either has no interest in seeing, or believes will never see anyway is to begin to plot a life in which your current relationships have little meaning. Those who seek immortality are plotting an act of leaving, an act, as Robin puts it, of betrayal and abandonment. Despite their sharply different views on death, Robin and Peggy have been happily married for 26 years. The secret to their peace is simple. They choose not to discuss the issue. And if Robin pursues cryonics in the end, it will be up to someone else, not Peggy, to carry out his wishes. Iowa Insights is produced by the University of Iowa. To subscribe, visit us on iTunes or at news.uiowa.edu.